Well, good morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, on the count of three, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what you got for Christmas. One, two, three. Okay. So far, so good. Uh, today is the last Sunday of the year. As Pastor Tony would say, this is our last chance. This is the last chance we have. You know, I know that uh, seven days from now, we're going to have another Sunday. They keep coming no matter what. But it does feel like it's the end of something, doesn't it? It feels like the end of the year, last Sunday, we're, we're putting a cap on something. We're kind of tying something up with a bow. And so this Sunday morning, um, that's what I want to do. Uh, I was going to make a joke about, you know, we, we save something for last. Oh, they saved the best for last. But pa uh, Pastor Dave already made that joke, so obviously uh, writing that was a waste of time. Um, this is the final part of our Waymaker series. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. On Christmas Eve, Pastor Tony did light in the darkness. So where does that leave me? My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That's not a good name for a message. So I kind of got the short end of the stick a little bit there. But that's okay. I decided to cheat. And I'm actually going to do the first line of the bridge, which is, even when I don't see it, you're working. Um, and today, I'm actually going to be talking about getting the short end of the stick, uh, metaphorically. Uh, today, uh, because it is Christmas, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Mary and Joseph. Specifically, the verse in Luke 2.19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Here's a revelation I've, I've come to this year. Preaching the Bible is like trying to sell winter coats to people in the summer. You will need it, but you might not yet know it. And it's easier to sell a coat when it's already cold outside. Like yesterday, it was 50 degrees. I wake up this morning, it's in the 30s. So it can get cold very suddenly, but if you have a winter coat, you'll be okay. But what if you don't? What if you are not prepared? Sometimes you might find yourself stuck outside and you will find yourself needing to rely on what you already have. The quality of what you have learned will be tested. What God has already given you, what you already possess in your faith, that is what is going to be tested. Oftentimes, we do not appreciate what God is doing in our lives until much later. Have you ever noticed that the most significant moments in our life never feel significant at the time? It's very rare that something amazing and powerful, one of your most cherished memories, really felt like it at the time. And often we are stuck in this tension of trying to trust in God and what he says, even though what we're looking at is a complete contradiction. Um, in Isaiah 55, this is God's attitude towards our lives. And I, I kind of think this is funny. He says, For my thoughts 
are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Meaning, many times in life, God will have you face things that you are incapable of understanding. You cannot understand by design. And when we are confused, things start to happen. We tend to be angry. We might get sad. We might get discouraged. We might get scared or anxious. And this is a test because the quality of what you have learned will be tested. So it's Christmas, right? Well, it's the day after Christmas, but it's Christmas. So let's read Matthew 1, 23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, everybody should know the Christmas story, and we understand how there's this miracle at work in Mary's life, and she gave birth to Jesus. And it's this wonderful story. But this scripture is actually not coined by Matthew. This scripture is actually a reference. It is a reference to a prophecy in the Old Testament, specifically found in the verse of Isaiah, uh, in the book of Isaiah. It is in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, let me give you a little context for where this comes up in Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7, the king of Judea, I'm sorry, the king of Judah, his city is being besieged by his enemies. And it says that him and all the people of the city were shaken with fear. It says they were shaken like the trees shake in the wind. And they were worried. Maybe God's not going to come through. What's going to happen to us? So the prophet Isaiah comes to the king, and he has a word from God. He's got a word from the Lord. It's going to be okay, King Ahaz. God's going to take care of you. He's going to get us through this. But the weirdest thing happens while he's giving this prophetic encouragement. In Isaiah 7, verse 10, it says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. See, I think that's kind of funny. If the Lord told you, hey, ask me for a sign. I want to give you a sign. And Ahaz is like, hey, man, I don't need a sign. Come on, I'm all right. You can imagine the Lord thinking like, listen here, guy. I, I, listen, you don't want a sign, but I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, here's what's interesting. After this, as the chapter goes on, the rest of the prophecy describes the ways in which his enemies will fall apart. So technically, this little prophecy right here 
doesn't really have anything to do with Ahaz and his situation. Maybe it seemed like it at the time, but the reality is it would be 700 years before God would fulfill that promise. 700 years. More like weight maker, am I right? Imagine, imagine Ahaz. Thank you, Siri. Imagine Ahaz hearing this. The, vir- the virgin will conceive. She'll give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel. Ahaz is like, what are you talking about, Lord? <laughs> what? That has nothing to do with me. And it's true. Because all those years later, Matthew would quote this prophecy and confirm that God kept his promise. Indeed, it happened, just as he said. So I I like to imagine King Ahaz is, is in heaven with God. And the Lord's saying, aha, look, Ahaz, I kept my word. See? See what I did there? And Ahaz is like, great, Lord. You understand, though, there was, I had no ability, given the context, to know what you were trying to get at. It kind of seems like you were trying to sell me a winter coat in the summer. How was I supposed to keep up with you there? Now, there is this idea that although our God is good, although our God is a good father, and he loves us so much, he still can be very mysterious in the way he plans out things in our lives. Even when we obey him perfectly, things still do not transpire the way we expect them to. Now, if you think the mystery of this prophetic word ends there, that it took 700 years for it to happen, I mean, if you want to talk about confusion, if you want to talk about not knowing what God is up to, if you want to talk about being tested, if you want to talk about getting the short end of the stick, let's talk about Mary for a moment. Mary was an unwed pregnant teenager. I'm sure all of us can relate to that. When it was discovered she was pregnant, her fiancé assumed the worst and tried to have a divorce. Now, fortunately, uh, an angel was able to change Joseph's mind, but still, that was probably an awful conversation at first. But she was still pregnant for nine months. Now, fortunately for all of you, I happen to be an expert on pregnancy. (laughs) I do know that pregnancy can be very difficult. Even under the best of circumstances, there is pain, discomfort, nausea, and in many cases, especially 2,000 years ago, pregnancy could be life-threatening. Now, God should have been aware of all these things. He had 700 years to get it all worked out. However, right before the baby was due, Mary and Joseph found out that they had to move because of a census that was taking place. You know, what better time, right? And now this was another fulfillment of a prophecy about Bethlehem, but try explaining that to a young couple who is 
expecting their first child and is probably very stressed out about it at the time. And on top of all that, there was not a single room available for them in Bethlehem. So they had to deliver their son out where the animals slept. By the way, that's not just where they slept. That was probably a smelly place to give birth to a child. That's fairly humiliating, isn't it? Clearly, God is not a very good travel agent. The first Christmas probably seemed awful, huh? God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? Why are you not making this easier? Why am I getting the short end of the stick? If God is so good, why are things so bad? You see, the quality of what you have learned will be tested. One day, you will be tested on whether or not you really do trust the Lord. Whether you have a little bit of faith or you have a lot of faith, one day you will have to find that faith being put to the test. One day you will find out if that winter coat the preacher was selling you is enough to keep you warm in the cold of the night. And I've been thinking a lot about cold nights And I was thinking about the shepherds out in the field during the first Christmas. And I I couldn't help but be bothered by the fact that the angels showed up for the shepherds on that night, but not Mary and Joseph. You ever think about why did the angels tell the shepherds first what was going on? I mean, how many of you enjoyed Laura Cook and her band uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Well, the shepherds out in the field, they got a Christmas concert. And Mary and Joseph couldn't even get a room. And so once again, it feels like God is showing up for others but not you. Even God seems to favor others more than me, right? And it doesn't seem fair. One of, the, one of the weirdest things about being on staff at this church is many, many times, not all the time, but many times, too many cases, I'll be responsible for something that goes on in the service. Maybe it's a video thing or a camera thing or something. And it will seem like on this particular Sunday service, everything goes wrong. And it just doesn't seem fair. There was a lighting issue, a sound issue, a video issue, et cetera, et cetera. And... I'm convinced. I'm convinced at the end of the service. All right, the Lord was not with us on that Sunday. I don't know where he went. He went to a church down the road. He didn't show up here. And then the strangest thing is so many times we'll have a staff meeting maybe the following day, and I'll hear all these stories of somebody explaining how that service the day before was the most powerful experience they've ever had in the presence of God. And we'll hear all these stories of radical, powerful things the Lord is doing in somebody's life. And on one hand, I'm grateful. I'm thinking to myself, hey, it turns out God was there. Even when I don't see it, you're working, right, God? But on the other hand, I'm very disappointed because my thought process is, Lord, you didn't show up from my point of view. And that doesn't seem fair. 
So let's go to Luke 2. This is where the earlier scripture comes from. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, this is the shepherds, and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Here's the important part. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. These words in the original language, Greek, they mean to mentally store up, to meditate on, to reminisce, to memorize, to remember. Mary took all of these things and she stored them up in her heart. Here's what I believe this means. Mary and Joseph are having what might be one of the worst nights of their life. Everything is so difficult. Everything is working opposite of how they expected God to show up. And I can imagine, even when they're holding their child in their arms, there is still a sense that the Lord wasn't really with them. He wasn't really working. But I expect that when those shepherds showed up, their perspective changed really quick. When they heard what God had been doing just a few miles away, in their honor, I imagine they learned something that day that they would keep for the rest of their lives. Mary was able to take something from that night, from that experience, store it in her heart, and it would last a lifetime. Because we know that God can change everything in a moment. We know this. But it's, it's interesting how we, we constantly forget it. As soon as things get hard, as soon as the road gets rough, nah, never mind, God's not really there for me, is he? He, he was doing good up until now, and uh, something changed. I did something wrong, and now things are hard, and I can't get out of it. But that is not the God we serve. He is faithful to the end. He is faithful no matter what. And just like Mary, my hope is at the end of this year, at the end of 2021, no matter what kind of year it's been for you, maybe it's been good in some ways, it's been awful in others, my hope is today that we, just like Mary and Joseph, we are able to take all of these things all of those hurts, all of those disappointments, all of those expectations not met, but we can take all of these things and we can store them up in our hearts and we can treasure them so that no matter what happens next, we do not forget that God was working in them. Because we know that in the end, all things work together for the good of those who love him. You know, God is the author. God is the author of our lives. He is the author of all stories ever told for all eternity. And our part in the stories he's writing may not always be easy. They may not always be happy. And we might not always be the star of the story. But we know that God is the one writing it. We know that God is the one who gets the final say on everything. 
And that gives me hope. That even when I don't see it, Lord, you are working. Shortly after Jesus was born, there was a death threat on his life. Herod the king, feeling threatened by the Messiah, went and killed every boy in in Bethlehem under the age of two. And Mary and Joseph had to flee to another country, Egypt, to protect their family. Do you see how sometimes crisis can follow crisis in our lives? Even when we see God come through today, it's possible that tomorrow there will be a new challenge. Crisis can sometimes follow crisis. I, I learned the most fascinating story a couple weeks ago in history. Attila the Hun. Attila the Hun, a historical figure I didn't know much about at all growing up. You just know the name. I recently learned exactly who he was and what he did. In approximately 400 AD, Attila the Hun crafted an empire of Asian raiders, and they created an army and a systematic way of pillaging, destroying, and killing everything they came across as they traveled west towards the Roman Empire. Now, I don't want to share too many of the atrocities that the Huns committed, the Hunnish Empire, but they killed an estimated three million people, which back then was a percentage of the world's population Sometimes I make the mistake of thinking things are really bad in the world today and the world's getting so much worse. And then I hear stories like these and I realize I have no idea what I'm talking about. I can't imagine being a humble villager, just doing my job, living my life, and then suddenly without warning, a people I have never heard of, I've never known about, and I never had been warned of, raid my home early in the morning, burning, destroying, killing, torturing everything they come across. So this is what Attila the Hun is doing in 400 AD. And he is stomping across the world. He reaches Rome, the city of Rome. And here's this interesting story. In fact, it's a story so fascinating. When I first heard it, I was convinced it wasn't true. I thought, nah, that ain't real. That's an exaggeration. That's a Hollywood perversion of what really happened. No way. No way that really happened. Well, sure enough, I go on the internet. I read a bunch of papers on it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it really happened. That wasn't a joke. Here's the story. Attila the Hun reaches Rome. Now, I'll remind you, Rome at this time was the capital of Christianity, If Rome fell to the Huns, it's very possible the history of Christianity in this world would be dramatically different. The entire history of the world would be different. 
So Attila the Honey parks his army on a river, and he waits. He waits to see, what could this city possibly do to stop me? I have destroyed everything I have come across. His enemies called him the scourge of God. They believed that Attila the Hun was sent by God as some sort of divine punishment upon the earth. He was the new Noah's flood because nobody could stop him. So here's what Rome did. They sent out the bishop of Rome. His name was Leo. Leo I. Leo I and a couple of other gentlemen, they go to meet Attila the Hun. They go into his tent. And here's the thing. Nobody knows what they talked about. Nobody has any idea what was discussed in that tent. No one knows. But we do know for certain that as soon as they left, Attila the Hun took his entire army, turned around, and went home. It's a true story. And it's one of those weird historical facts you figure, well, certainly there's a secular explanation for this, right? He bribed them, they made a deal. I've, I've looked into it. Even secular historians don't really know what else to call it other than a miracle. He turned around his entire army, and they went home. And then Attila the Hun uh, proceeded to die less than a year later. He died of a nosebleed. So, that's one way of dealing with it, I guess. But here's something else that I thought was uh, pretty fascinating about that story. And it reminded me of Mary and Joseph. Rome had been spared that day from this empire, this horde that wanted to destroy them. But just a few years later, another army, an army of barbarians, was successfully able to siege the city, to break through the walls and to sack and destroy everything they came across. You see, crisis can follow crisis in our lives. We survive one, but sometimes another one comes up again. You know, some people mistakenly believe that because of God, everything is going to be hunky-dory, which is a term that millennials use. They think... That if something goes right, then God must have been there. But if something goes wrong, then God wasn't really there, right? There is a false teaching out there that tries to exaggerate how much God will fix everything in your life. You know, you can make lots of money. You can never get sick. You can get any promotion or position you want. Everybody will like you. Anybody who doesn't like you will get their comeuppance. You know, you deserve nice things. Everything's going to be fine. And so, when they're taught this, they get disappointed and they get discouraged and they get disillusioned with their faith when, not if, when things go wrong. 
They find themselves caught outside in the winter without an adequate coat. And they make up their mind that either God never really cared about them or God must have never been there in the first place. This is a false teaching and it is destroying people's lives. I don't know who's teaching this stuff. I think it's Pastor Tony. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Pastor Chris. So what's the point? Am I, am I trying to say that we're just made to suffer? It's like C-3PO says in episode four of Star Wars A New Hope. We're made to suffer. It's our lot in life. I had to sneak a Star Wars reference in here somewhere. No. You know, I, 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 I know that we've all had this happen, but sometimes I selfishly think it only happens to me. Where my problems seem so impossibly big... The pain and the difficulty of something I'm going through seems so unfathomably large, I cannot even possibly comprehend how difficult what I'm going through is. And it seems to eclipse God in his entirety. God disappears behind my problem. And then eventually I learn my lesson. Eventually I remember and I learn that there is nothing in life that is too big of a deal to God. There's nothing in life that God cannot fix. No problem is bigger than my God. And no matter how many years it takes, whether it's 700, more or less, no matter what I go through, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing to the Lord. He is not intimidated by any of it. There's nothing that Mary and Joseph could go through that would make God flinch. There's nothing that Attila the Hun and all of his army could do that would make God flinch. The scripture says, a thousand years to the, light, to the Lord are like a day. Thousands of years of chaos, thousands of years of pain, thousands of years of unspeakable destruction. To the Lord, it's like a day. It's nothing. You know, this is why things can go wrong in our lives. This is why we can have hope even when things go wrong because we know that we serve a God who sees the bigger picture. He sees the whole timeline. He's written the entire story out already. It's like a really good movie. When it looks so dark, it looks so bad, you can't believe it, oh no, oh no, oh no. But then it all works out in the end because the script is already written. Here's the thing about that idea though I've, I've realized I, I have and I, I've had to start repenting of. I've thought to myself okay yeah a thousand years are like a day to the Lord so therefore all of my problems they're little compared to the Lord. And then I've, I've made the mistake of assuming that means God doesn't care about my problems. They're just not a, they're not a big deal to him. You know I'm just a small part of the story. I'm a background actor in what he's doing in the world. You know, I, I'm just collateral damage. If things fall apart in my life, he doesn't really care. A thousand Sean Terry's, it's, it's a vapor to him, right? And sometimes that means when things are bad in my life, I think that God isn't really concerned about me or what I'm going through. You know, he, he just wants to make somebody else's life better, not mine. 
And sometimes I have a hard time praying to God because why should I bother him with my problems? You know, he doesn't really care. They're nothing to him. Why waste my breath hoping for him to come through? Ever thought like that? A thousand years of my problems just seem like one day to the Lord. Here's the mistake I've made, though. I'm forgetting the other part of that verse. It's 2 Peter 3. It says, but do not forget this one thing. It tells us do not forget, probably because we'd be tempted to forget all the time. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I did the math on that, and it would mean by that ratio, 1,000 to 1, for the Lord to watch me blink would take 40 hours. Now, if God can stare into my eyes for 40 hours, my gorgeous blue eyes, he could memorize every single detail of my life, every hair on my head. He can count. Every hair on your head. Every square inch of your being. Every thought. Every word. Every whisper. Every prayer. Every pain. Everything God has seen. Please do not think that you do not matter to God. No matter what you are going through, do not make the mistake of thinking that your problem he does not care about. Your problem, he multiplies it by a thousand. We sometimes think that if we're undergoing pain and difficulty, God is not there, God does not care. But I would like to propose to you that God is working even when we do not see it. He is preparing something for us and he is preparing something in us that will serve us very well in the adventures to come. He is so meticulously and thoroughly aware of what we're going through. And that is a good God that we serve. Even when I don't see it, he is working. Will you stand with me? Uh, in a moment, I'm just going to pray and dismiss us all uh, to go back home, to go play with our Christmas toys. Hopefully, you got dinosaur toys. One of the greatest injustices about getting older is nobody asks you what your favorite dinosaur is anymore. My personal favorite is Shantungasaurus, which is a real dinosaur. It's uh, a hadrosaur. It's the largest ornithopod. Um, in case you wanted to know. And uh, I think God even cares about that little detail. And I think God cares about the little details in your life today as well. So let's pray. Father, 
I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the Christmas season. I thank you, Father, that through a trial and through a sojourn, through a journey, you brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And even when it seemed everything had gone wrong, you were speaking a message the entire time. You had prophetic words prepared that they never knew about. They were living out a story that you had written a long time ago, God. Much like we are today, Lord, I believe that when we are going through the good times and the bad, that, Father, you have prepared every step of the way and that you are a good Father who can be trusted. So I thank you this morning, Lord, and I pray that there would be a blessing and an encouragement over my friends today. Father God, please help us to remember that you are with us. You are with us no matter what. Even when there is a testing, even when there is a trial, even when the winter comes, that you are good. You do not waste any of it. You are faithful to finish the work you started in us. I thank you and I praise you, Lord God. And may all of us remember that even when we do not see it, you are working in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, well, my friends, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'll see you next year.